So I hope you're not tired of this scripture yet. Hope you never get tired of the word of God. But uh, uh, we're going to again, once again look at this passage and, uh, and going to add to a couple of points that we looked at last week. On May the 24th, 2016, there was a, an article in a paper that read Suicide by Lion. That was the article. The title of the article was Suicide by Lion. And it was about a, a young 20-year-old who visited the Santiago Zoo in Chile. And uh, when he got there, he began to disrobe. He took all of his clothes off and naked, he jumped into the lion's cage. And uh, at, at the horror of all those who witnessed what was happening, they didn't come that day to watch such a spectacular event, but to their surprise, he began to take all of his clothes off and he went into the lion's den. And at first, the lion somewhat ignored him for just a second, but it didn't take long until both lions, the lion and the lioness, decided that they would have some fun with him and began to toy with him with their paws and uh, began to, to sort of throw him around inside of the cage. And to the horror of the witnesses, they then decided they would feast on him and began to take their fun in beginning to rip his body apart with their teeth. The witnesses thought it was kind of strange that the zookeepers did not come a little bit faster than they did. They seemed to delay longer than necessary until finally the zookeepers came. And the first attempt, they tried to push them away from the man with high-powered uh, water. And that did not work, and they decided then they would try to tranquilize the lions. And so in their attempt to tranquilize one of the lions, they accidentally missed the lion and hit the victim in the neck and paralyzed him. And so the lions continued to feast on the man until finally the only thing they could do was shoot the lion and the lioness, to which they did to rescue the man. The man uh, is still recovering to this day. But they did find a suicide note inside of the clothes that he left before he jumped into the lion. This man obviously was working with a few french fries short of a happy meal. I guess we would probably more than likely say that his elevator didn't go all the way to the top. Or maybe he wasn't playing with all the cards in his deck. This is crazy, isn't it? To think someone would disrobe take off their clothes, jump into a lion's den and a zoo in order to commit suicide. So I, I, I guess I ask as I read this passage, was it crazy for Benaiah to go down into a pit on a snowy day and risk his life in confronting this lion? Well, I contend that he was in fact not crazy because you see this was God's part in which God wanted to use this lion to move Benaiah to the place for which he could then later on use Benaiah to uh, have a connection with King David that others did not have. For David too encountered a lion and fought him single-handedly while he was watching his father's sheep and was victorious over a lion. And like Benaiah... David had such a victory, and that sort of connected them. I don't know about you, but common experiences have a way of bringing people together. And, and if I were King David looking for someone who would eventually become my bodyguard, I wouldn't want someone maybe crazy enough or brave enough to face a lion on a snowy day who would be willing to come down into a pit and face him with hand-to-hand -hand combat. You see, this lion was sort of a part of the will or the plan that God had in molding and shaping Benaiah to prepare him for something beyond this encounter with the lion. And the only way to reach that purpose, the only way to accomplish that plan, the only way to fulfill what God intended for Benaiah's life was through this 
challenge by facing the lion. And so last Sunday, we sort of identified what possibly might be that lion in your life. For sometimes either God allows or God causes some things to enter into our lives that are designed by him to move us from where we are to where God wants us to be. And the only way we can become or move in the direction that God wants us to be, to become all that God purposed in our lives, is to face these lions, to challenge them, and to conquer them. And the sad reality is that often when we face these lions in our lives, they often paralyze us with fear and intimidation. And as a result of that, we are then robbed of the purpose for which God has for our lives. We can't advance. We can't move forward. We can't become who God intends for us to become. And I'm not sure what that lion is for you because they have different names. They run in different packs. They have different aspects about them. And each and every one of us, I'm convinced, has one, maybe two, maybe three things that we can identify right now that we know that unless we challenge that lion that is obstructing us for the purpose for which God has designed us to fulfill, we will never become who God wants us to become. And so as we face these lions, we sort of took a look at Benaiah's life and we developed some characteristics about what lion chasers are. And we saw five last week, so we're going to quickly review those so that some of you who slept last week can catch up with us, and those of you who are not here will catch up as well. I know nobody sleeps during my messages, right? Right, Brother Clarence? That's right, that's what I thought. Okay, here we go. Lion chaser number one, live purposefully. There's, there's an intentionality about them. They understand that God has created them for a purpose, and they seek to do everything they can in order to fulfill that purpose. Number two, lion chasers know their assignment. We know that lion chasers understand that, that, that as, like Benaiah, when he faced the two Ariels, when he faced the lion, when he faced the giant Egyptian, there was no question in regard to what his assignment needed to be. He was going to confront them and going to challenge them. And lion chasers don't have to be told what their assignment is. Once they encounter, they identify the lion, they know that their assignment is to challenge. And number three, lion chasers harness their fear. Uh, Benaiah was a man just like us. We identified that a couple of weeks ago, that Benaiah was a man. He was a son. He was a man. And as a result of that, it was subject to emotions, much like we are. And as a result of those emotions, he was able to harness those emotions, I believe, and was able to overcome them. In other words, his emotions did not define the choices that he made. For the enemy is described like a roaring lion seeking whomever he may devour. And in that roar, he seeks to intimidate us. And I think one of the main reasons why many people are paralyzed today and confronting the lions that are obstructing them for the purpose which God has for their lives is primarily because of fear. Fear of the lion itself and possibly fear of the unknown. Because many of us like to live in, in that where we are because we found comfort even in our dysfunction. We know what to expect and what to anticipate and moving him from here to there, we don't know what to expect. And so we allow fear to dictate and determine the choices that we have. Number five, uh, four, lion chasers adjust their perspective. They adjust their perspective. Uh, this was, as we have already identified, one step into God fulfilling the purpose for which Benaiah was created for. And, and as a result of that, there was a perspective that was beyond the perspective of the moment. There was a perspective that God had in moving Benaiah from here to there through the avenue of the challenge and the conquering of the lion. 
And we saw how often, many times, we need to see those lions in our lives from God's perspective, not human perspective, because it is through those that we grow in our faith and mature in our understanding of who God is and where God wants us to be. And number five, lion chasers challenge the odds. It's not that they are oblivious to the odds. It's not that they ignore the odds. They know that the odds, that uh, Benaiah knew the odds. I mean, two aerials, a lion and a giant Egyptian. He could see, he could identify, he could calculate the odds, but he didn't let the odds standing in his way dictator determined the choices that he made. He rose above those and he challenged the odds. That's what lion chasers do. They challenge the odds. Even though they're stacked against them, they move forward and move ahead. Number six is what I want to start with today as we look at the last, well, we're going to have 11 of them, so buckle up, here we go. Lion chasers, number six, willingly step up. They willingly step up. This is, I think, an important aspect of what I find in Benaiah. He willingly stepped up. Notice in verse 20, And Benaiah went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when the snow had fallen. I don't know if you noticed or not, but Benaiah confronted two aerials by himself. Now these aerials were lion-like men. They were champion warriors of Moab. When he went down into the pit on a day in which the snow was falling, he encountered on that wintry day a hungry man-eating lion. He went down on his own. He went down by himself. He stepped up the plate and he was willing to swing the bat. And when he was confronted with the Egyptian who was a hired contract killer to come and and kill God's people, he confronted, he encountered, and he battled this giant Egyptian by himself. He willingly stepped forward. That's what lion chasers do. They know that no one else can fight their battle for them. I mean, wouldn't it be great if someone else could could, uh, make your wife happy, Pastor Mark? Wouldn't it be great if someone else could raise your children since they've been on the roof the other day? I mean, he, found, he talked to us last Sunday and said he went outside, could find his son, and he found his son on the roof. Yeah. Few of us can, can have enough finances to hire a nanny to raise our children. You know, there's some things that no one can do for you. You just have to do them yourself. No one can fix your marriage for you but you. No one can raise your children for you but you. No one can charge that lion, that giant that's obstructing your path from God fulfilling the purpose that he has for your life for you. It is a battle. It is a journey. It is a challenge that you must accept. That is something that you yourself must engage. It is something that you must do. You must willingly step up to the plate and challenge and charge the lion that's obstructing your path. That's what King David did. In 1 Samuel 17, 40, he says, Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. He, uh, his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Now, David went to deliver food for his brothers. Upon arriving, he heard this giant step out as the army stood there and heard him mock their God and challenge these men that he thought that were his heroes. And he questioned why no one stood out and stepped out of the crowd. And eventually Saul learned of what he had said and summoned him. And David told him, he said, well, I, I fought a lion and a bear and the God will protect me. 
dressed David in his armor, and we know the story from last week, and you've read the story countless times. He was too heavy, too cumbersome. He didn't fit him. He hadn't put them and tested them into battle, so he released himself from them. And here we see that he finally went and got five smooth stones, put them in his pouch, and approached the, uh, the, the giant howl only with a stone and his slingshot. But notice, he approached the, uh, the Philistine. No one else could do it for him. You see, the giant was an obstacle. The, the giant was a lion. The giant was that thing that David himself had to confront, had to face, and had to fight. No one could fight this battle for him, for him to become king. Lion chasers willingly step out of the crowd of comfort and casual commitment and and cowardice, and they step into that lion that is intimidating and that is threatening, that is obstructing their path, and sees it as an opportunity, as an obstacle, or as an opponent, and challenges that willingly stepping forward and say, here I am. And they step forward and make it happen. Lion chasers willingly step up. Number seven, lion chasers believe the impossible. If you take a look at the text again, let's read it again. Benaiah, he struck down two aerials from Moab. He also went down and struck the lion in the pit on the day when the snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand. And Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Do you think that uh, he didn't see the impossibility of the task that was before him? I mean, in the natural, in and of itself, his own strength, his own ability, his own training, his own weaponry, even though he was standing facing two lion-like men, two champion warriors, we've already said the odds were against him, and yet he still believed that God, who was a God of possibilities, didn't see the impossibility, but saw the possible. I don't think he would have stood before the two arrows and thinking, I think I'm going to lose. I'm not sure that was even a thought in his, in his mind. When he went down into the pit, into that dark cave where the lion was hiding out on a wintry day because it was cold to get out of the snow, I don't think he thought as he was going down into that pit, it's an impossibility what I am about to do. I am, I am determined I am going to lose. There's no way out. I'm not going to come out alive. Do you think he would have done that had he climbed down into that pit? He wouldn't have thought those thoughts. He saw the impossibility as possible. When he stood before the giant Egyptian on that day in battle and he saw him with a spear and all he had was a shepherd's staff, do you think he didn't see that this impossibility was going to become possible if he would step in faith and trust God? See, I think that's what lion chasers do. They, they believe the impossible. Why? Because they have a high view of God. Don't miss this. I think most of us see our lions as impossibilities because we have a low view of God. When you are standing frozen in your tracks, being intimidated by whatever it is that is facing you and robbing you of God's purpose for your life, and you don't move forward, that tells me what you believe about God. Because if you have a low view of God, you're going to see that which you're facing as an impossibility, not as a possibility, because that which you're facing is bigger than God. 
David didn't see it that way. Take a look at the text in 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. Then David, standing before the Philistines, said, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Verse 46, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut you off. What was it that fueled David's courage? It's what happened before. He had been, as one of Jesse's sons, brought in from the field and had been chosen by God to be the king of Israel. The prophet had anointed him and blessed him as the future king of Israel. When he walked into that camp, he knew of that anointing. He knew of that calling that God had on his life. And he remembered the battle that he had against the lion and the bear. And as a result of that, he put his trust in God. He knew that his God saw impossibilities as a possibility. If you have a low view of God, you're going to see whatever you face as an impossibility. But when we as lion chasers believe that the impossible can become possible because we have a God of possibilities who is greater, bigger, stronger, mightier than that which we are facing, we are going to step in faith, trusting God, and charge the lion. For that's what lion chasers do. They believe the impossible. Number eight, they also give it their all. Lion chasers give it their all. Take a look at the text again in verse 20. The second part, it says, He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when the snow had fallen. Do you think when he went down in that pit on that snowy day facing that man-eating hungry lion on a wintry day, that he said, you know what, I think, I, think I, can, I can commit an arm to this. You think he thought that? Or maybe I could commit a leg? Or do you think he was all in? Once you climb down into a pit where there's a man-eating hungry lion on a snowy day, aren't you committing your all to the cause and to the outcome? Do you think there's a half-hearted commitment on his part that says, well, I'm only, I'm only half in? See, I think there's a lot of people who, who think, okay, I'm going to chase my lion, and I'm going to charge it, I'm going to challenge it, and I'm going to try to do combat or battle with it. But in, in, in the aspect of that, they, they, they have, well, you know, I'm going to give it, give it all I got, but if it's too hard or too difficult, I've got an exit strategy. I've got a way out. And then they walk away saying, well, I gave it my best. I did all I could. No. That's not an all-out commitment. There are many who come to faith in Christ like that. I'll, I'll commit my heart and my life to Christ as long as it doesn't cost me everything. But the life in Christ costs you literally everything. It's all or nothing. Lion chasers understand that it's all or nothing. And when they step forward to challenge, to confront, to combat that which is standing between them and God's purpose for their life, they're all in. David was all in. 1 Samuel 17, 45, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. I come to you. I stepping up to the plate. Do you think when David was facing his Goliath on that moment, in that valley, before all the Philistines and all the army of God in that valley, that he wasn't all in? He's all in. It's life or death. 
Either Goliath is going to die or I'm going to die, but I'm completely and totally committed. Really heart, heartening, it's disheartening to me when I, when I counsel or when I talk to couples and, and, and one person who, who says that they're going to marry someone else and commit to them their heart and their love for the rest of their lives say, you know what, I'm done. And I question, were you not all in when you were down at the altar? What part of I'm all in did you not buy into or did you not mean? When people walk down the aisle and commit their hearts and lives to Christ, then all of a sudden life gets a little bit too complicated and the cost gets a little bit too high and, and they sort of walk away from the faith. I say, wait a minute, what part of that did you not believe in or understand or commit to? What part of parenting isn't an all-in thing? For many of us, at times, I guarantee you as a parent, you want to say, well, I'm going to throw in this town and forget it. Let somebody else raise my kids. And there are parents all over this, this county who do that and let other people raise their children for them. You know, this, this lion chasing, this confrontation, this combat with whatever is obstructing you, this path, this journey that you're on to becoming all that God created you to become, because Benaiah definitely was, he, he was born a priest, but God made him, he became a warrior. And in the process of becoming and moving from priest to warrior, he had to confront the lion. And when he walked down into that pit or climbed down in that pit or Climbed the rock down. I'm not sure how he went down there, but when he went down, he was all in 100%. You'll never see the lions in your lives removed, defeated, and overcome until you're all in. And you push aside this exit strategy that somehow you formulate in your mind and say, well, I gave it my best shot. No, you didn't. And to those people who say that, I call them wimps. They're not warriors. Because the men and women who put their lives on the line for us right now to defend our nation today are all in. And we who are warriors and priests on the, on the army of God need to be all in and give it our all. Life or death. Number nine, I see that lion chasers advance in faith. Lion chasers will advance in faith. You know, you can't overcome unless you engage. It's not just going to disappear on its own. It's not going to just go away. It's, it's not just going to some, somehow just miraculously just, and God's going to deal with it for you. There's some aspect here where God will do it with you and through you, but he's not going to remove it from you. And we've identified that already because most of the time when we come to the Father, we want him to remove or release us from the lions in our lives that are obstructing our path and becoming and fulfilling the purpose of God for our lives instead of praying, Lord, give me the courage to confront and to combat, to overcome this opportunity that you've placed in my life. We have to advance in faith, and that's what lion chasers do. Notice how Benaiah did that. And Benaiah, he went down, and he struck down the lion. Again, in the next verse, verse 21, Benaiah went down to him with a staff. He went down. He went. He moved from where he was to where the lion was. You can't have victory if you stand paralyzed where you are. 
You have to move forward. You have to move toward. You have to advance. I know some people say the best football game, a, a, a good defense is a good thing to have. But we are not in a defensive posture as believers. We are in the, an offensive posture. And too many of us, I think, are playing defense rather than offense. And lions never come down on their own. It takes on our part an advancement in faith toward that obstacle, that opportunity, that opponent that's preventing us from becoming and fulfilling what God has purposed for our lives. It takes us to get out up from where we are off of our blessed assurance and move by faith in a positive direction toward and challenging that which is obstructing our path. And lion chasers understand that if you're going to engage the enemy, you've got to go where the enemy is because he, all the time, is not going to just come to you. And trust me, when you advance, he's hunkered down. He's bunkered down. He's got plenty of, of weaponry to, to, to stop you in that challenge. But you must advance in faith because that's what Benaiah did and that's what David did. Notice 1 Samuel 17, 48. When the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David... Notice this, this is, this is, I love this. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. He ran how? Quickly. He didn't just, you know, casually, fearfully, haphazardly. He ran toward the giants. When are you going to run toward that which is obstructing you, preventing you from going on in the purpose for which God has for your life? It's not a, just a walk. I think there needs to be a run. And as David ran into that valley, there was a run that was with confidence, not in his ability, but in God's ability as he advanced in faith. And so do lion chasers advance the giants or the lions that are obstructing us from God's purpose for our lives. We advance in faith. Number 10, lion chasers commit to victory. They commit to victory. It says in the verse, and Benaiah struck down into the arrows of Moab. He also went down and struck down the lion in the pit of the day when the snow had fallen. Verse 21, and he struck down an Egyptian. Notice, he strikes them down. That word strike down means to kill. It means to render ineffective. It means to annihilate. It means to destroy. When he faced the two uh, aerials from Moab, he struck them down. When he faced the lion in a den, he struck him. He killed it. When he faced the giant, Egyptian, he killed him. David did the same. Take a look at 1 Samuel 17, 49 through 51. It says, and David put his hand on his bag. He took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into the forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. And David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and with the stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. And David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. It's a life or death situation, and so is your life. It's either your life or his life. 
Again, there's no exit strategy, but there also is no compromise. I think too often when we recognize and identify the lines in our lives that are instructing us from becoming who God purposed and intended for us to be, we have a tendency to get comfortable with them and we sort of want to have a peace treaty with them. We want to coexist or cohabitate with them in an unbiblical, unspiritual way because we just don't want to face what we know we have to face. And many of us don't commit to victory. And the only way that we can move on in Christ is to completely annihilate, to destroy, to eliminate the intimidating factor from the enemy that is hindering the progress that God wants to bring into our lives. Lion chasers commit to victory. They don't sit down and say, let's try to, let's try. You know why they don't? Because the lion in your life is, is not a peaceful opponent. He's, it's, it's not an opportunity. It's not an obstacle that, that wants to coexist with you. It wants to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he wants to do, to kill, steal, and destroy. How do you live with someone that will feast on you and kill you? There, there is no taming of a lion, really, in your life. You can't cohabitate and coexist with it. You must commit to, and in advancing in faith, commit to its complete and total annihilation so that it no longer is between you and what God intends to bring and for you to become in fulfilling his purpose. Number 11, lion chasers not to commit to victory, but they glorify God alone. They glorify God alone. Look at verse 22. We haven't read this one yet. Yay, we're on a, another passage of scripture. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, Notice again a reference to he was born priest and he became a warrior. God was molding him and shaping him into becoming a champion warrior. He would eventually serve in David's army, become David's lifeguard. He would then serve David as a commander, but he would later then even serve Solomon as one of his commanders. But notice, and he won a name beside the three mighty men. He won a name. What won him the name? Two aerials, a lion. And a giant Egyptian won him a name. He was renowned among the 30, it says. But he did not attain to the three. You know, there was, there was a, a limit to what God was going to allow him to enjoy as far as a reputation. And maybe that was a good thing. But notice, and David set him over his bodyguard. That was part of the fulfillment of God's purpose for his life that would be later on he would then defend David because David wanted to appoint Solomon his son and he eventually became uh, had somebody said you know I, I noticed while you were preaching that 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 Benaiah eventually becomes an assassin yes he does and he vindicates King David and doesn't challenge this challenger to the throne of David and and then confronts that guy who tried to rob the throne from David to giving it to Solomon, and he then served Solomon. He's, he's an incredibly godly man. But God had, had all of this purpose for, for Benaiah from the, from the get-go, from the time that he was born, to the time he faced the two Ariels, to the time that he faced the lion, from the time that he, he engaged the giant Egyptian, to the time that he became David's bodyguard. God is fulfilling this incredible purpose. And we talked about the importance of why 
is fulfilling God's purpose for his life so important? Because that purpose brings glory to God. When God ultimately fulfills his purpose in your life, it glorifies God, not you. Notice what the passage says in John 15, 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What glorifies God? What glorifies God? Somebody tell me. What does that passage say? Bearing much fruit. When you bear fruit, when you fulfill God's intent, God's purpose, God's plan, God's will for your life, when you bear fruit, you bring glory to God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. I know some of you are thinking about lunch already, right? And when you're eating lunch, do it to the glory of God. God, this is bringing you glory. Glory to you, God. And you're savoring those Mexican food savers in your mouth or whatever you're going to eat. Glorify God through that. Am I making you hungry already? 1 Peter 4.11, that God in all things may be glorified. More than anything else, God created you for the purpose of bringing him glory. And the aerials and the giants and the, 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 the giant, uh, the, the lions, the air, whatever you face, whatever lion it is obstructing, it is there in order for you to bring him glory. I'm convinced that, that the reason why Benaiah's reputation was so great is because he glorified God and the purpose for which God had for him in those things. King David understood that in 1 Samuel 17, 46. Notice what it says. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give you the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know what? That there is a God in Israel. Verse 47. And that all this assembly may know, all this assembly may know, everyone here may know that God saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. What is David saying? He's saying to this giant obstructing him from the path that God had purpose for him to be king of Israel, I'm going to slaughter you to the glory of God. And even in his words, before the battle even began, he gave glory to God. It was a family that was on vacation and uh, part of that vacation was going to spend with in grandma and grandpa's house. And grandma and grandpa had a retirement home. It was a small home, just a two-bedroom home. And because the family that was large, the men slept in one room and the, boy, uh, the, the women slept in another room. So grandma and, and, and the kids slept in one room and grandpa and the men slept in another room. And uh, everything was fine, you know. It was kind of like a three-dog night. They had multiple kids in one bed. And so uh, early in the morning, little Susie woke up sooner than everyone else. And as she opened her eyes, laying in that crowded bed, the first thing she saw was a picture of Jesus. It was a beautiful picture of Jesus. But what it was, it was a reflection of the picture that was mounted at the head of the bed, not at the foot of the bed. But she saw the reflection of Jesus in the mirror and she rose up to see it. And when she did, Jesus' reflection disappeared and she saw herself. Well, she laid back down and saw Jesus again and got up again and saw herself. And so, as you can imagine, as a young child, she did this multiple times until, guess what? She woke mom up. 
who wasn't quite ready to get up yet. And she said, honey, what in the world are you doing? She said, well, mommy, every time I see Jesus, I can't see myself. But every time I see myself, I can't see Jesus. What's reflective in your life today? Yourself or Jesus? God shares his glory with no one. He shares his glory with no one. No one can take his glory from him. It is an illusion, and those who think they can are delusional. You and I were placed on this planet by God to glorify him and him alone. And when we see ourselves, we don't see Jesus. And when others see us, they don't see Jesus. And we face the lions and the giants in our lives solely for the purpose to glorify God alone. So I ask you as we close, here's the question. What are you doing with the lions in your life? Are you running toward the roar? It's not a matter of are they roaring, they are. Why? To intimidate you, to paralyze you, to freeze you, to coexist with you, not to, not to be challenged by you. And the only way you can go where God has called you to go is to run to the roar. And to exercise these characteristics in your life as a lion chaser. Seeing the impossibility as a possibility. Why? Because we have a greater champion than Benaiah and Goliath. And his name is Jesus. And as we follow him as our champion, he ran to the roar of the cross. He took the challenge and ran to the cross and died on that cross so that through faith in him, we might be victorious today. And he never intended to be a life in him to be a life of defeat, but a life of victory, a life of freedom, a life of maturity, a life of advancement, so that we might fulfill the purpose for which we were created individually and corporately. Why? To glorify him and him alone. So let's run to the roar. Pray with me.